to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, as usual, Jeff. Joining me from our Seattle studios is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, welcome back. Oh, my goodness. It's so good to be back. I, I, I was just talking about um, up here, We uh, the county I live in is in phase two now, which means we can like leave the house on occasion. Yeah, now if 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 baseball were to start somehow, it, it, it's still no uh, no no fans though. If if the Mariners were right. able to play, right? Yeah. No, no. The only fans would be the people they're working. So we'd have to double as fans and workers, which I normally do anyway. Yeah. See, I, I figure if if the A's actually played this year, there wouldn't really be many restrictions. Just be business as usual. Yeah. I socially distance at those games. <laughs> naturally nice and i have plenty of room to do it but i miss it (laughs) i got you man ah so i got a lot of things to talk about first of all we've got a great show for you today um again you know i i we're planning on uh, we're planning on uh, dropping this episode on june 9th i can't promise you that's actually the day you're listening to this we're we're kind of playing it by ear we again just want to acknowledge what's going on in the country uh, I know Mark and I have both been glued to, to you know, social media and and to wherever we choose to get our news, trying to to get to get information, and and we want to be certainly sensitive and aware of what's going on. Uh, we also realize, and especially after last week, realized that a lot of people reached out to us because we were we were not sure that we wanted to release an episode last week, but uh, we did get quite a few notes, and we really appreciated the people that you know. Look to look to podcasts and, and ours being one of those to just kind of escape for a little bit and, and not think about everything that's going on. So we will uh, I can't promise when this will be released. Be You know, if something happens, I, I don't want to premiere this episode in the middle of something even worse going on. But uh, we do appreciate you joining us and and hope everybody is, is safe and healthy. And remember, we are still also in the middle middle of a pandemic. So. Everybody, please be safe, and and thank you for being here, and and we do appreciate it. Um, Mark, we've got a great show today. We had the chance to talk to Richie Schaefer a a week or so ago, and the the name you might not remember, he had had a brief career in the majors, but he is such a great guy, and he has so many good stories. He is such a character, as we'll get into, that, Mark, I've had to break it up into two ep- into two episodes because we just kept talking to him because he was so easy to talk to, and he had such great stuff. But that's a, some great stuff we got coming up today. And Yeah, uh, I, I, I think I, uh, we would need Ken Burns uh, to put the entire interview together that we did, all 14 <laughs> hours of it. But uh, being a great editor... Jeff Paulson, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we'll get it down to two episodes. We will get it down. And, and we want to do that because we do like to talk about some other things here in, in the pregame show. And that also, Mark, affords you and I the ability to play Wax Packs Heroes. Uh, Richie got to play with us, and it was a great, great round. But you're going to have to wait till next week to hear that. Right. But you and I hopefully can step up from last week because we did not. We did not bring the excitement last week when it came to the Wax Packs hero. <laughs> yeah, last week was like watching two last place teams in mid September playing a day game on ESPN three. Yeah, is there it, an ESPN three? Huh. Yeah, I think it's their internet only channel. 
but there mm-hmm. is this, yeah. just like the Ocho is a real thing every now and then, but it's, it's, it's getting really sparse out there, man. I watched a couple of guys playing catch last night. That's how terrible it is. <laughs> I would watch that right now, but let's tell you, I do have some stuff here for, for our, our pregame show. A couple of things. Now we talked last week about a list of the top five living players. Yes. And I, 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 Said I was going to do some thinking about it, and I have. I don't think I'm done. I think I want to keep thinking. I think I'd like to get some other people's opinions. I would love anybody that's listening that would like to compile their top five players, send it to us. I'd love I'd love to see it. But these are some names because I, we, we threw some out last week just off the top of our heads. These are some names that after doing some research of what I came up with, and this is like 15 names, so I didn't narrow it down, but I'm just starting the process. So I think Willie Mays and Hank Aaron are a given, right? I think everybody can agree that of the top five living players, those two are included in this list just by, you know, default. <laughs> well, you could add up their home runs and you're you're going to get, what, 755 and 660? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> That's a lot. But I mean, you, you know, defensively, uh, you know, just... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Two of of the all-time greats, period. But the two greatest living, I think, are are those two. I mentioned for me, Mike Schmidt is 1,000% on that list. So for me, that's that's 60% of the list is already done. Um, So I came up with some other names, though. So first, the other other batters that I came up with, or non-pitchers, let me say that. Reginald Martinez-Jackson. Sure. I, I'm not sure if he's a top five, but he's got to be included in the conversation. I think I mentioned George Brett. Again, I think he's, again, in mm-hmm. the conversation, probably not making that list. But some other no, names, I, the other names that I hadn't thought of, besides Ricky, of course. I'm, I'm Again, I, I, I'm not sure I'd put even Ricky in the top five, but Rod Carew is Rod there. Carew. Uh, Ken Griffey One Jr. Yeah, Ken Griffey Jr., oh. you mentioned. Um, of course. And I thought about this. What about Ichiro? Sure. He, I, can, he certainly can make an argument for it. I think, you know, he is, he, he is, yeah, I, I, I was looking at his numbers and I, I'm thinking to myself, I can't not put him there. I mean, you know, there's other names like Eddie Murray, Albert Pujols, uh, even Adrian Beltre, Dave Winfield. I mean, there are some yeah. great players out there, but we're trying to narrow this down to just the top five. Now, are we top fiving all players or just hitters, position players? All players that are alive. So that's just my batters. I've got another list okay. of, of pitchers here too. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah, because you know, again, that's not. I haven't named a pitcher yet. <laughs> I was going to say the guy that pops into my head that I'm not even sure I mentioned last time was Albert Pujols. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm. I'm and you know <laughs> what? I think we've become a little jaded with Pujols because a the contract. And two, the guy needs a wheelchair to get down to first base. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But yeah, I mean, he is absolutely one of the best hitters in baseball history. And he's got the numbers, he's got the power, and he's got the average. But uh, yeah, I don't know that I could put him up there. Um, but but here's my pitcher list. So, because kind of the thing that spurred this was Clemens was included in the original list. But uh, here's my list. Randy Johnson, Tom mm-hmm. Seaver, uh, Greg Maddox oh, yeah. for me is definitely got to be there. Pedro Martinez, 
which I, I I think Pedro's name was it was he ever mentioned in the steroid conversation? So I mean the guy's a the guy's like a, a twist tie. Yeah, I, I I don't. He doesn't look very roidy to me. Yeah, I, well I mean you know steroids doesn't there, there are different kinds of of PEDs you, you know skinny roids. So I mean <laughs> uh, I mean greenies. And I kind of had that conversation offline too. I mean, Greenies. That Willie Mays was a big fan of Greenies. Those aren't steroids, but you know there no. are different drugs that you can use that will help you. But Pedro Martinez, Bob Gibson, of course, I mentioned him last week. Mm-hmm. How about Mariano Rivera? I mean, sure. he's a closer, but yeah, I'm gonna bring. I'm gonna mention him. Sandy Koufax, Jim Palmer. Sure. Those are yeah, Jim Palmer. Wow. So literally, uh, we've put together a list here of like 15 guys trying to get down to our, our top five. <laughs> but there's a yeah. lot of them. It's a, this is tough. This is probably going to be like a month-long thing. Like every show I'm going to come in and say, well, I knocked X, Y, and Z off my list. <laughs> what I wanted to do, though, is because included in this original list that spurred this conversation were three names. And that was A-Rod, Barry Bonds, and Roger Clements. And I said, I am not including them. I don't, I don't want guys that are dirty. And these three guys, there's no way you can, I mean... I'm not sure that they have ever come right out and said, you know what? I absolutely did illegal performance enhancing drugs. They have, they've made statements that pretty much proved their guilt, but I wanted to look at some numbers. So I looked at a rods numbers from 1994 through 2000, because in his statement, a rod says that in 2001, he started using PEDs. Now he claims he only used them through 2003. I I'm not going to, we're not going to get into that, but I'm going to look at his numbers just until he claims he started using them in 2001. So in sure. those seasons, he com- he combined for 966 hits, 189 home runs, 595 RBIs, and a 936 OPS. So not bad. That, oh, that's fantastic. Is yeah. that, is that hall of fame? No way. In that short yeah. amount of time, because anything after that, I am putting an asterisk by and I'm not going to give yeah. him credit for. You've got a question every single hit, every home run at that point from that point on. Yeah. So he's out for me. He's not included in yeah. this. List. Barry Bonds. Well, I'm with you 100 percent. I, 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 I can't I can't do the juicer. And, it, you know, again, I, I'm. If I kind of feel like getting us on Mountain Landis and that, well, maybe a jury didn't find them guilty, but I know they're guilty, so they're banned. We're and the hosts of this podcast, and we rule with an iron fist. And we, if we say no. <laughs> All right, so next, Barry Bonds. So I'm going to only include Barry's numbers from 1986, his rookie year, up to 1997. Because in a statement, he, Barry Bonds said that 1998 was the first time he used PEDs. So in okay. those seasons... He collected 1,750 hits, 1,094 RBIs. He stole 417 bases. He hit 374 home runs, and his OPS was 959. That's that's freaking incredible numbers. But that's impressive. Yeah. If that's his entire career, he's not making it past one. 
ballot on the Hall of Fame, and and he's he's not going to garner enough votes. No. So I'm with you again. Everything after '97, when he says he started to use PEDs, I'm 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 wiping out. And I mean, just take a look at him from you know when he was with the Pirates versus <laughs> when he's you know hitting 72 home runs for the Giants. He, he's clearly sure. on something. Well, I'm I'm only going to not count the ones where he was using the cream. I'm I'm going to count the ones where he was using the clear. The, the clear is good for you. <laughs> yeah, I think it because you know it's see through. It's got to be good for you. Well, it's transparent, you know. It's letting you see everything that's in there, apparently. Right, exactly. All right, so the last guy here on this list was Roger Clemens, who uh, was a rookie in 1984. 1998 was the first time he claims he used PEDs. So 84 through 97, Roger Clemens compiled a record of 213, uh, 213 wins, 118 losses, he pitched 3,040 innings. He struck out 2,882, and he compiled a nine. Uh, I'm sorry. He compiled a 2.97 ERA. So again, pretty darn impressive. But no doubt, you're yeah. losing a good chunk of his career there, and obviously he was very effective all the way through the end of his career. Sure. But yeah, there's it, a reason. It's interesting. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he had basically two phases of a career where he was good. You know, he, he was when he came into the league in, I think, 84, he was good. He was really good. He won 20 games two or three times. And then he started kind of slipping and he only won. He was 11 and 14 in 1993. And then nine and seven, 10 and five, 10 and 13. And then in 97, boom. 2.05 ERA, 21 and 7 record. Yeah, and and the next year, 20 and 6 with a 2.65 ERA. I mean, and after he was that, throwing he's 264 still, innings and 234 innings respectively. Yeah. I mean, he, he his 3 years in Houston when he was aged 41, 42 and 43, he went 38 and 18 with a 2.4 ERA. Oh my including a Cy Young. Yes, that's right. <laughs> so that's Cy Young. And then he had votes for a second one, I believe. Oh, well, I, I mean, he, he won seven Cy Youngs through his career. Right. I'm just meaning with Houston. Oh, with, with Houston. Yeah. So yeah. he, the next year he came in third with a 13 and huh. eight record with a 1.87 ERA. Oh, goodness gracious. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, right. Nolan Ryan pitched late in his career, but he was still striking people out, but he was not effective at that age. He was, and he was just taking Advil. We know that. Yeah. (laughs) He was ready to go another nine innings. I'll never forget that commercial. So right, it cracks me up because Roger Clemens here, I'm looking at his nickname and of course, you know, it's the rocket, but it also baseball reference also refers to him as the Texas con man, which is Ooh. what we're talking about essentially. So yeah. Wow, yeah. All right. So there, there is, uh, I think we'll revisit this again. We need to narrow this down. And again, listeners, let us know. I'd love to just give, give us your top five living players We'll combine a list of, of, of listeners that send us theirs, and we'll try to narrow ours down and see what we can come up with. 
Yeah, let's do that. It's, it's, it's nice interactive way to interact with people who listen to us and, and stuff like that too. So, all right. So uh, let's get into our debuts because uh, I, w- I want to get to our interview with uh, with Richie Schaefer here. Uh, debuts. This podcast, as I said, is intended to premiere on June 9th. I can't promise that you'll be hearing us on June 9th, but somewhere around there. We got a couple of them. And there are actually some very interesting ones. So first of all, today, June 9th in 1963, Ken Hawk Harrelson made his debut for the Kansas City Athletics. Now, wow. you know my love for Ken Harrelson. Yes. Now, we, we do have uh, one listener in particular comes to mind who is a big fan of Hawk. So let's be nice. <laughs> Yeah, because my my statement is dripping with sarcasm. So as a player, uh, that day he went 0 for 1. He pinch hit versus the White Sox in Juan Pizarro, which is a fun name to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ken Harrelson, was, he is a Hall of Famer. He's uh, He's been inducted. Well, he hasn't yet. He was going to be inducted this year into the Ford C. Frick wing in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he had a nine-year career as a player. He had 131 home runs and had a 110 OPS+. plus. Hawk, of course, was as big a personality as a player as he was in the booth. He's been credited many times with wearing the first batting glove in a game, which I th- and we've talked about this before. It was actually a golf glove. He thought he wasn't going to be in the lineup that day, so he went and he played 36 holes of golf in the morning. And his hands were raw and sore. And then he shows up at the ballpark and he's in the starting lineup. So he wore his <laughs> golf glove up there to bat. But this was unbeknownst to me until I, I was doing some research on him for this. That there are actually references of players wearing gloves to bat as far back as 1901. No kidding. Yeah, that was that was complete news to me. Uh, so Lefty O'Duel. Hall of Famer of the Brooklyn Dodgers sure. was reported to wear, uh, he wore one in 1932. Bobby Thompson, he of the shot heard around the world, was also said to have worn gloves to to bat during the 50s. And even Roger Maris was seen wearing a golf glove in 1961. Hmm. So I had always heard it was Harrelson. And maybe because he's got that great story to, to, to go with it, that's what you remember, but... Sure. Does not sound like he was the first to do it, but probably the first person to really kind of bring it to the forefront and people started to notice. Interesting. Uh, So uh, uh, upon retirement from playing, Hawk played in the 1972 British Open golf tournament. uh, Obviously, he played a lot of golf. And he missed the cut by just one stroke. Wow. So, yeah, pretty impressive to, to... be able to play in a PGA event, but then to just miss the, the cut by one stroke is pretty impressive. He first broadcast games for the Red Sox in the 70s. And then in the 80s, he moved to the White Sox. And, uh, you know, he would have partnered with a lot of different different people there for the White Sox. Uh, I remember Tom Pachorek was the guy that I listened to mainly with him. Um who I did not care for as a broadcaster either. (laughs) Uh, But uh, Darren Jackson did, uh, did a stint with him. And then Steve Stone, who was partners of course with Harry Carey. Sure. Was his partner uh, until Hawk retired a year or two ago. Also might be mentioned that Jason Benetti replaced 
Hawk Harrelson, and Jason Benetti is my favorite broadcaster in all of baseball right now. There you go. Uh, of course, Hawk known for his uh, his catchphrases. You can put it on the board, yes. <laughs> Which, if you're not a White Sox fan, you just hate that because it means that a, a White Sox is homered. Uh, anybody of the opposition strikes out and you get a he gone. <laughs> and then my favorite Hawk Harrelson uh, quote is the utter and complete silence whenever somebody walks off the White Sox. <laughs> Just nothing to say. There you go. Nothing. Well, what else needs to be said if no. you think about it? Uh, Hawk is the epitome of a homer, and that's why I don't think I cared for him as a broadcaster. He just went. There's that line of, yes, your, your, your everyday broadcaster for the team is going to be a homer. He obliterated that line so much that Joe Garagiola would have immediately made reference to it in the first <laughs> inning. That, that was just for you, Mark. Thank you, man. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. And, and, and I, know, I know where you're going with Joe there. All right. So our, our next debut uh, today in 1967, we mentioned him already. Reginald Martinez Jackson made his debut again for the Kansas City Athletics. The great Reggie Jackson. I had a, I had a kind of a funny uh, run-in with Reggie once. It was a very positive one. Um, he was coming. It was back when I was working in the A's organization. And he was coming to speak to the team, the AAA team, um, about doing um, you know, uh, service and, and, and volunteering for things and so on and uh, making yourself available as far as charity goes. And I'm standing there. The whole team's crowded into the locker room. And I'm standing in the hallway, and the door bursts open. And here in walks the biggest personality you can imagine. There he is, Reggie Jackson. He walks right up to me, sticks his hand out, and he goes, How are you doing? I'm Reggie Jackson. And I'm looking at him thinking, <laughs> No kidding. <laughs> you don't say. I, I grabbed him by the hand, and I said, Hi, Reggie. My name's Mark. And he goes, You know where I'm supposed to be? I said, Right through that door, sir. And he goes, Thanks, Mark. And he walked away, and I went, I think that was Reggie Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Larger than life, man. And he was great too. He, he, he talked a lot about, um, uh, you know, doing uh, charity work and, and stuff like that to all the guys. And he, he was great. And he's super cool. He signed autographs for everybody. And Reggie, Reggie was awesome. Yeah. I, of course, Reggie is one of Ricky Henderson's favorite players. And I think we've, I'm not going to go into it, but Reggie stiffed him as a kid, didn't give him an autograph. And Ricky was bitter about that for quite a while. <laughs> but uh, on this day, Reggie did make his debut. He went 0 for 3 and he struck out. But I think he I think he ended up OK. Uh, he ended up yeah. in the Hall of Fame 1993. American League MVP in 1973, a 14-time All-Star, won five World Series rings was twice named the World Series MVP, had his number retired in both New York and Oakland, and even has a monument in Yankee Stadium. And he's yes. got the nickname Mr. October for obvious reasons because of his postseason heroics. In 21 seasons, he hit 563 home runs, drove in 1,701 Struck out 2,597 times, which is still the all-time record. And he ended up with a career OPS plus of 139. Now, you know, Reggie stole over 200 bases. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, he, he was not a great defensive <laughs> outfielder, no. we'll say that. But, yeah, beyond that, uh, he was, uh, you know, he was a pretty, he, he went beyond power. 
he he, he, he did. did a lot of things, including uh, trying to uh, you know running in the uh, in the base path to to deflect balls with his body, even just barely putting his little hip out there just <laughs> enough to knock a baseball off to the side during a double play. I mean, Something he, like that? he did. I mean, okay, you know the three home runs in one in, uh-huh. in one World Series game, but also d- there's a great clip, and maybe I'll I'll put it in the show notes of you know he he hit a home run, got hit by a pitch the next time, and then the next time uh, he faced that guy, he hit a home run, he circled the bases, and then as soon as he touched home plate, he charged the mound. <laughs> he was, and I. Very confident guy, too. I, I've got some quotes here. I, I, I get a couple of other things I wanted to talk about quickly because I did not know some of these things. And I think this is you, a Reggie, Reggie Jackson episode's got to come in the near future, too. So I don't want to do too much here, but I did not know his father played in the Negro Leagues. He was uh, a member of the Newark Eagles, which I did I not know. know. Uh, Reggie was recruited to play football by the powerhouses in football, Alabama, Georgia and Oklahoma all of wow. whom at that point were still segregated, but said that they were willing to break the color barrier for Reggie. Wow. Yeah. So wow. but he ultimately chose Arizona State because he could play both football and baseball there. Uh, obviously went on to, uh, to, to a great career. I mean, ASU was a huge, and, and not as much today, but has been just a huge um you know, college baseball hotbed for, for players. Reggie, yeah. of course, being one of those. I've got some quotes here from Reggie Jackson. And these are Reggie Jackson about Reggie Jackson. <laughs> he at one point said, quote, After Jackie Robinson, the most important black in baseball history is Reggie Jackson. I really mean that, unquote. <laughs> That's Reggie <laughs> sure saying that. Next, uh, quote, so many ideas come to you when you're slumping. You want to try them all out, but you can't. You're like a mosquito in a nudist camp. You just don't know where to start. (laughs) Okay. Good. Uh, Here's another one from Reggie. Quote, when you've played this game for 10 years and you've gone to bat 7,000 times and gotten 2,000 hits, do you know what that really means? It means you've gone zero for (laughs) 5,000. Oh, just wow. another one of those things that puts in perspective how often the best baseball players fail. Yeah. Yep. So we like to talk about pop culture here with uh, with baseball. Reggie Jackson has been obviously in just every I, I mean, he's kind of a pop culture icon. He's one of those one of those guys that if you know nothing about baseball, you know who Babe Ruth is and That's you right. probably know who Reggie Jackson is. Yes, and you probably remember the time he he uh, tried to assassinate the queen. It, well, that's probably the most famous one in the Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad. He portrayed an Angels outfielder who was hypnotically programmed to kill the Queen of England, and he pulled a gun out from underneath second base, which that's right. Uh, they, they, that's why you now see them check under second base before each game to make sure there's no hidden firearms. That's right. Um, of course, he also had a, a candy bar named after him, the Reggie Bar. I remember the Reggie Bar. I ate a few of those. I, I never had one. I've never actually seen one in person, I don't think. I know they're still out there. I'll eat anything with caramel in it, caramel or caramel, whatever you want to call it. It's both good. Yeah, right. I, I'm with you on that one. Uh, yeah. He's also been in some other movies. He was in the Richie Rich movie, which somehow I missed that one. <laughs> 
Uh, he was in Basketball, which is one of my favorite sports movies. Oh, man. Uh, he was in Summer of Sam, and he was also in The Benchwarmers. He's been on TV plenty of times as a guest star. He was on Different Strokes, one of my favorites growing up. He was on The Love Boat, which... Well, I mean, who wasn't in the Any 70s. boat that Reggie Jackson goes on is technically The Love Boat. I'm just, just <laughs> telling you. Uh, he was in the spinoff uh, Archie Bunker's Place. Apparently, I vaguely remember that show, but he was on MacGyver. Uh, He was on the Jeffersons and uh, he also was on Malcolm in the Middle. Wow. This is this one. I don't know that I believe this or not, but he was also apparently considered for the role of Jordy LaForge in the series Star Trek The Next Generation that ultimately went to LeVar Burton. Now, I need more proof than a Wikipedia entrance. For that yeah come on <laughs> i want to believe that that no i don't know about that one uh I, so i uh i have a a little story about another story about reggie just since we're talking about how reggie likes to refer to reggie um one time my friends george and kathy were at a at a game and he was out in the in the outfield stretching and so on and she said rather loudly to george hey is that reggie jackson who then Reggie turned around, looked up at her and said, ma'am, asking if I'm Reggie Jackson is like asking if you're a woman. (laughs) That's a true story. (laughs) Oh yeah. I think, I I think we could probably do an episode just on Reggie Jackson quotes and stories. (laughs) He tell you what, man, that guy hit 563 career home runs. He can, he can do whatever he wants. He'll tell you about it, too. That's right. Uh, just two more quick ones. Nothing. Uh, nothing. I'm not going to give you any information about it, but it, kind of weird that both today, in 2011, Anthony Rizzo made his debut, and then last year, in 2019, Jordan Alvarez made his debut. So two, <laughs> maybe future Hall of Famers. Two made their good debut. left-handed bats, yeah. All right, so let's get into trivia. I asked you a question last week to see if you've uh, come up with an answer. My question was, who is the only Braves player to have played for the Braves organization in all three cities that it is called home? So that is Boston, Milwaukee, and Atlanta. Right. Now, do you uh, you have any idea who I was talking about? Um, I was I remember I came up with a couple of possible answers and one I was wrong. Or I'm pretty sure I was wrong, but you didn't tell me I was right on either one of them. One of one of them that you gave was right. I was, was very it? impressed. Okay, so um, what was it, Eddie Matthews? You're absolutely correct. Nice job. Nice. That's right, nice. Eddie I, Matthews, third baseman. One of my dad's favorite players. Yes. Yeah, Hall of Famer, third baseman, played for the Braves. His rookie season was their last year in Boston. His almost entire career was then in Milwaukee, and then he played one year after they moved to Atlanta, and then he played for Houston and Detroit for a, a season and a half to to round out his career. But that's right, Eddie. I'm I'm very impressed. You've gotten a couple of these right. Oh, thanks, man. I I I, I did I guess Lou Burdett at first. I'm trying to remember. I don't remember if you guessed Lou Burdett. Well, we could hit we could hit play on an old you know, show, but why would we do that? <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> okay. So uh, very impressive. Uh, I, I know 
Hank Aaron people thought about quite sure. often, but no, not, not, not around quite in time for that. But I've got a new question for you here for next week. And this one is imminently reachable. I think you're going to okay. get it. Okay. So uh, I, I was just looking through stolen bases and team totals. And so from the year 2000 through last season, Tampa Bay, I'm sorry, Tampa, they dropped the Bay quite a while ago, had the most stolen bases as a team over those, those 19 seasons with 2,387. And I thought, man, that, does, that just does not seem like a lot for that many years. So yeah. I went back and looked between the years 1980 and 1999, which team led the major leagues in stolen bases during that time? 90 through 99? Yeah. Uh, 80 through 99. 80th, oh, geez. Wow. Um, you know, the, the the big base dealers, they did bounce around f- from different teams occasionally. Um, but I don't, I don't know, man, if it's not Ricky, I don't know who to tell you. All right. Well, you can, you can think about it for a little bit. Think about it for a week. I'll give you a week. It's a, okay. <laughs> oh, I got to come up with a team. Sorry. Not the person. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is not a, it's not a, not a player. I mean, player is Ricky Henderson, but sure. I'm, I'm looking for the, for the team. Team stolen bases. Yeah. So. Mm, okay. That's good. I like it. Okay. All right. So think about that. Let's now let the grounds crew come out and do their stuff. Um, we've got, as I mentioned, a great, really interesting guy. Richie Schaefer was a first round draft pick out of Clemson. We seem to be talking to a lot of former Clemson players, but they've been great interviews. So why would we stop? But, uh, <laughs> Richie Schaefer played for the, uh, Tampa Bay Rays when he came up. He is, you've seen him on the internet. I can guarantee you if you've seen any YouTube baseball clips at some point or on Twitter or on the tonight show. I mean, he's, he's got some viral clips that have shown up that everybody has seen because he's just a, a funny, goofy guy. And uh, he's done some some really interesting things. He's got some great stories. And like I said, we we're going to break this up into two episodes because we went a little bit long with him and I want you to hear everything he has to say. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump in and we're going to talk to Richie for a little while. And uh, then you can come back next week and hear the rest of it. So without any further ado, here is our conversation with Richie Schaefer. So we want to welcome uh, Richie Schaefer to our show, a.k.a. Dickie Danger. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Let's get it out of the way just right off the bat. You do go by Dickie Danger on uh, certain parts of the Internet, especially on Twitch. That's right. That's Um, right. Can can you kind of tell us where, where Dickie Danger came from? Yeah, so it's sort of a little alter ego that I sort of invented at the back end of my playing career. Uh, I think it started in 2016. Uh, I was in AAA in Durham. I was I was having a little bit of a rough patch. I needed to mix things up. And so one of my buddies was like, bro, just grow a mustache. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. So I just grew this <laughs> like, and I, if you've seen my facial hair, it's really, really bad. It's patchy and like, it's, it's just, ugh, it's just not attractive facial hair. And so, um, but I do, I do get this kind of full mustache. So I grew the mustache out and when you know, I just start raking. Like I just start hammering the ball like all over the place. I get called back up to Tampa and I'm thinking, I'm talking to my buddies and I'm like, bro, like I can't go, I can't go back to the big leagues with this mustache, right? And they're like, 
what do you mean you've been killing with this mustache like what do you got to do you got to do it so i keep him like whatever so i get there and sure enough i'm just i get ragged on immediately when i get there and uh so people are like people are giving me a hard time they're like man you look like a like a private investigator who lives down in like <laughs> Fort Myers or something like that you look like did that like um private Dick Danger, PI, or something like that. So that's kind of what it came from. Uh, and then I just sort of ran with it after that. So I just sort of become Dickie Danger. And, and that was my little alter ego for a long time. So whenever I like messed up or did things, I would just blame it on Dickie Danger. That was never Richie. That was that was that was Dickie who did that right there. So and then when I when I started streaming on Twitch, it just um it was a funny name and people loved it. So it just sort of seemed like a natural fit for the culture of of uh, Twitch. Yeah, that fits right in. We we talked to, and I'll get to this in a minute because he is likewise a Clemson alumni. We talked to uh, Shane Monahan the oh, other day. He's, he's a character. I love him. Shane's wild. And he said that he was, uh, you know, he was down in AAA before he got his first call up with the Mariners, and he was struggling. And so he went out and got his tips frosted. That and, surprised uh, me the slightest bit. And uh, he got back from from getting that done and his phone rang and he got a call up that day. So with this new look of the frosted tips, he had to show up in the Mariners clubhouse for the first time with that look. That's so, amazing. Yeah. They're, they're looking for their their next outfielder and in walks the real Slim Shady. Yeah, oh, that's great. That's great. That doesn't surprise me the slightest bit that Monaghan got his, his uh, tips frosted. That's really funny. And that's just weird that we talked to two Clemson, uh, you know, Clemson grads here. Uh, in fact, you just completed your, you that's went right. back and completed yeah. your, your, your just graduated about two weeks ago. Yep. So no that is yeah. awesome. Congratulations. 11 years, 11 years in the making. Finally did it. Let's go. Well, congrats, man. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was um, definitely something that was a priority for me. And I always knew I wanted to finish, you know, you know, if we're being honest, I was hoping it was going to be when I was, you know, 39, just finishing up my playing career, not 29. But, you know, I mean, it's uh, it was <laughs> something yeah. that um, I knew that the moment I was done playing, I needed to hop on it right away. Because if I procrastinated even a little bit on it and, you know, life started really falling into place post baseball, it is going to be really hard to go back. So um, I, I sort of made a point to do it right away, get everything settled in. And then honestly, like even the, um, with everything with COVID and everything, it, it going to online actually really helped me because I was commuting to Clemson twice a week from Charlotte, which two and a half hours. So it was getting pretty taxing, but, um, everything switching to online actually really helped. Well, that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. That's, thank that's, you. Thank you. I appreciate that's it. That's great. So let's talk about let's talk about Clemson. You were you were drafted out of high school by the Dodgers. Yep. How was was it always a priority that you were going to go play college ball? Yeah, I mean, I'd sort of I had talked to a bunch of teams prior to the draft, and I had given them a number that I wanted, and I was pretty like I, I had a really good support system around me. People telling me, you know. Um, giving me solid instruction and direction on how to handle this. And, you know, okay, if you get this amount, like this is what you're going to actually walk away with after taxes and all this kind of stuff. And trying to like, you know, figure out ways to put me in the best position to make a decision because when you're 18 years old and someone's offering you millions of dollars versus going to do college. Like it's, it's a really difficult decision, especially when realistically you haven't done much in the adult world at all. And you're just getting thrust into like one of these, you know, make or break life decisions. So um, I gave them a number and I had a couple teams prior to the draft. It was the Reds and the Rangers um, offered me first round picks prior to the draft. Then I turned them both down because they weren't 
you know, the money amount that I felt was worth skipping college. And uh, so after that, I felt completely fine with uh, what was going to happen. And so basically after I turned those down, you know, no teams basically went to pick me until the Dodgers took a flyer in like the 25th round to see if they could, you know, weasel their way in. And I was like, nah, man, I'm going to school. So <laughs> it was uh, it was a tense, stressful, you know, couple days, but it all worked out. Wow, I did not realize that that people were communicating with you and essentially putting feelers out there to see if we draft you, you know, are you going to, you know, are you going to go to college or can we actually lure you into the minors right away? I did not know that. Yeah, so but, I mean, you also got to understand this is 2009. So, I mean, this was yeah, 11 years ago at this point. A lot has changed in the draft since then. So I don't think that happens as much anymore because there's a rigid slot system. You know, back in 09, Teams like the Red Sox and the Dodgers and the Yankees, they could take guys in the third, fourth round and still pay them $3 million. That was no issue. You know what I mean? So now there's a very rigid slot system. So teams don't really care either way. Like they're not trying to finesse stuff behind the scenes as much because it's like, hey, we're going to take you. This is basically, you know, they've, the, the MLB has removed a lot of the leverage that players have to negotiate the draft. It's basically if you get drafted, this is what you're going to get. So, mm-hmm. um, and it's basically a take it or leave it situation now, or before there was a lot more finagling and negotiating and stuff like that. So yeah, so a lot's changed since then, but yeah, back in, you know, 2009 when I was getting drafted, that's prior to like two CBAs ago. So it was uh, kind of the wild west for sure. The Rays picked you in the 25th as the 25th overall selection instead of in the 25th round. Correct. Which, yeah. uh, <laughs> let me point out to our uh, listeners, that's a lot better. Okay. <laughs> yeah, make, so. make sure that was clear. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's, uh, it all worked uh, out. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so in, in 2012, that's when you got drafted and you said, yeah, this time I'm going to do it. And uh, you went straight to uh, like class A short season. Yeah. So I got picked in 12. Um, and then basically I, I finished the back end of the 2012 season in, in, in short season rookie ball in Hudson Valley, but I was only there for about 30 days. And then the season ended because I signed right at the deadline. Um, because like we talked about the 2012, it was the very first year of a new CBA. So I got, uh, my draft 2012 was the very first year with this whole slot system that we're talking about. So things were a lot different teams didn't know exactly how to work it. So a lot of teams, went all the way to the very deadline. I, I told them literally the, the moment they signed, it's like, Hey, let's just put the name on the paper. I'll sign for exactly what this amount is supposed to like what all the teams agreed on in terms of the slot. Let's rock and roll. Um, and a lot of the teams were like, well, we'll see. So it took a long time to get signed. Um, not because of anything I was doing, just because I think the teams were very uh, cautious on how they were going to, you know, pursue negotiations. Sure. And then uh, I signed and finished the last 30 days or so in short season rookie ball. And then went to instructional league. And then, then you're right. Then started my first full year in class A, uh, high A the next year. What did you feel was the biggest difference between college ball and class A? Probably the grind, you know, just you, you're playing every <laughs> single day. Sure. Um, the, the grind of playing every day is considerably different because there's just no reprieve from failure if you're struggling. And then you have this sense of, uh, you know, how long can it last? It, it makes your, it makes your hot streaks feel shorter and it makes your slumps feel longer, you know? So, okay. Uh, um, yeah. That's, I get that's what you're sort of, saying there. Yeah. yeah that, that's sort of the way that I look at it is that this, you have to get out of the mindset of like, okay, 
this is the weekend we play games. We might play one during the week. We have this time in the middle that we can kind of reset and refocus. It's like you got to be able to focus every single day uh, mentally and physically. You got to be prepared to do that as well. So um, I think the, the, the grind of the schedule is probably the number one the separator between the college game and the professional game. Obviously there's metal bat, wood bat, talent right. level, stuff like that. But to me, by far the biggest difference is the, the mental side of preparation and pacing yourself and learning how to like manage your body over the course of a 200 game season versus college. Right. Interesting. You played, uh, you played while you were in Clemson, you played just like another, just like Shane Monahan did. You went and played in the Cape Cod league in 2011 during the summer for the Chatham anglers. Yeah, which, that was awesome. The cable. Was great. I think they, didn't they used to be, I, and I'm pulling all my knowledge here from the Freddie Prince classic. That's uh, right. Summer catch, yep. The Chatham A's. Correct. Which, yes. So they're the Chatham A's, and then basically the Oakland A's did like a copyright strike again. Yeah. <laughs> so they had, to, they had to change their name. So basically the Cape used to be all major league teams. They like used to have all, used to have like major league team names basically. And MLB said, nah, that's not going to fly. So they changed the name to the Anglers. Um, but they still, I think they even still have an A's logo, like a big A as their logo. And I think a lot of people still call them the Chatham A's. The, the Cape was awesome. Really fun time. You play with you know, a bunch of players that are going to have phenomenal careers. I mean, on my team, we had Chris Bryant. Um, we had a bunch of like guys that have had, you know, really successful major league careers. Uh, my buddy Dom Leone, who I played with the Clemson, he's been a reliever in the big leagues for about six, seven years now. Uh, we, we had a bunch of different guys on that team that have had really good careers. And you get to play against a lot of guys that you don't really get a chance to, to play when like in the season, get a chance to be away from your you know, your comfort zone or your school, everything. It's a great time. You also, speaking of just, again, I'm, I'm before we even get to the majors, you played for the, the 16U national team for the U.S. Yep. And I saw, I read a great story a while ago about Bryce Harper was on a team similar to this, where they went down to South America and they, they won this tournament and kind of had to sneak out under the cover of night. Do you have any great, uh, exciting stories from, from your time with the <laughs> well, national? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a little older than Bryce, um, which when I say it out loud, it kind of blows my mind, but I am, <laughs> I am older than him. It doesn't feel that way, but it, he, uh, somehow he got to the biggest when he was like 13 years old. So <laughs> you know, he's, he's got like, he's a 20 year, 20 year vet. And he's only like 24. You're like, wait, what does not add up? Um, no. So, I mean, he's obviously a superstar. So, but yeah, so I played on that, on that junior national team. We went down to be Barquisi Meadow, Venezuela, and we were actually supposed to play in Caracas, but there was a lot of turmoil and unrest going on in the country at the time. They thought that Caracas was going to be too dangerous, so they moved it to Barquisi Meadow. And yeah, it was crazy, man. It was a wild experience, especially at 16. I hadn't really been at, like, I don't think I've ever been out of the country up until that point. And uh, so, I mean, yeah, we had like police escorts through the countryside with our bus and everything and on the bus we had to have these like blackout curtains on the bus so people couldn't see like essentially what our bus who was in our bus and what we were and everything because it was so it's kind of crazy and then uh on the way we won the tournament we beat japan in the finals for the gold medal so i have like a junior olympic gold medal and we took pictures of like the the flag draped over our our shoulders and everything. It was pretty incredible. It was a really cool experience. And on the way back home though, 
we were flying, we flew back home basically through like a hurricane. I don't remember what hurricane it was, but there was a big hurricane coming through. So I remember we were, we had to drive from Barquisi Meadow back to Caracas because that's where the airport was. And then we had to fly basically like through, we, we weren't flying commercial. So they just like let us go, I guess. I don't think we were supposed to, but they didn't want us to stay in Caracas. So it would be like the most, like, like the most, uh, tumultuous flight i've ever been on through this hurricane we land in orlando and then we get stranded in orlando for 24 hours and so i like everyone was sort of like went their own way after that and so i spent the night in the orlando airport i was there for 24 hours i felt like tom hanks in the uh (laughs) terminal movie yeah so i was there i like lived in the orlando airport for 24 hours while this hurricane was passing through and then i was able to get back home like 14 15 hours prior to that. But the crazy thing about that whole story is that my dad had flown to Barquisi Meadow as well to like watch the tournament and be there. But when he went to Caracas to go back home, he was flying commercial. And so they wouldn't let him leave. And so he couldn't get a, like a hotel or anything in Caracas. So he basically, he met this family at the airport and he, they didn't speak any English and he barely spoke any Spanish. He ended up like driving back to their house. Like he rode with them back to their house and spent the night at this random Venezuelan family's house and then got back up the next day and came back to the airport and flew home. It was, it was ridiculous. So I, if I, if I'm not mistaken, that sounds like the plot for taken Two. <laughs> yeah, yes. It was wild. It was a wild trip and it was a lot of fun, but it was a really cool memory. Absolutely. It was, it was All wild. Right. All right, so you you uh, you get through the minor leagues here. You get called up to the big leagues. I am very familiar with this video clip. Uh, first of all, you you made your debut on August third. I'm sure that this the memories of this are, are seared into your your brain against Jose Quintana. The next day, you get your first hit, and it was quite a memorable hit off of David uh, Daniel Webb. Right, and. I remember uh, both Mark and I uh, at this point both worked at the Mariners. Mark still does. And I remember walking in and we talked about this clip that we saw of this guy hitting a home run, his first major league home run and getting the great, you know, one of our favorite gags of all time, his teammate giving him the silent treatment. So he just goes and high fives every, you know, some air high fives until everybody acknowledges him. And now we, that was you. That is incredible. And one of my favorite clips of all time. What do you remember specifically about the home run? But what, what was your, what was your mindset when you came into the dugout and you saw everybody ignoring you? Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, obviously that clip uh, is kind of my little 15 minutes of fame there. (laughs) The biggest, whatever sort of has outlived me personally as a, as a player, which is great. That's cool. If I got like a cool little gift that people like to use, um, when people don't respond to them in group messages or something like that, then that's perfect. <laughs> that's basically what it's used for. So, um, but I, I just remember like, I rem- okay. So I remember starting the game, Chris sale was pitching and obviously Chris sale is one of the best pitchers in the league. Still one of the best pitchers, you know, one of the best lefty dominant lefty aces of this decade. And I remember striking out horribly my first at bat, like horribly, like was it, I felt, I felt like I was minor league. Right. And so I remember, I remember going back to the dugout and being like, Hey, like look around, like you're in the big leagues, man. Like you and him are on the same, you guys are at the same level. Like he's not rehabbing double A and you're facing him. Like you guys are equals, right? Like calm down. Like you're here for a reason. 
go do your job. Like, let's go ball out. And, um, so after that first at bat, I remember settling in tremendously. I had really good at bats off him. I ended up drawing a walk. I ended up like just missing a ball, like flying out, like a sky ball to the infield by a thousand feet in the air. And I was like, Ooh, like I can feel it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm back. Like I'm here. I'm ready to go. And then, um, Later in the game, yeah, they brought in Webb and I know he's got like a big fastball. So I was just trying to let it rip. And I remember making really solid contact with it and just hoping it would blow out. And of course, you're in the big leagues, with the big league balls and the good stadiums. So I'm like, go, baby, go. And it got out. And <laughs> I just remember being so pumped and like just happy and everything that you've dreamed of as a kid and everything you've worked for for years and years. I mean, like I played baseball, you know, since I was two years old, so I could stand up worked my entire life for this moment sacrificed so much like as a kid growing up in in you know not doing so many things to focus on pursuing this and when you have that that moment that sort of justifies everything that you've done up into your life it's like an incredible feeling so i was just sort of on cloud nine i come back in to the dugout and the good thing about being on tampa was we were a really young team so I didn't feel overly intimidated by, you know, some insane veteran presence in the clubhouse. The most veteran guy we had was Longoria and we instantly became buddies right away because, you know, we were just similar in personality and stuff. So I felt really at home even my second day in there. So I was just being myself, right? And and I hit the home run, I came in and I was just miming high fives and doing stuff or whatever. And then they all just, you know, swore me and and bring me into the pile and everything. It was, it was a really cool moment. So it was awesome. And I also like to, I like to show people that clip. So when I'm like a goofball and do all kind of stuff now, I can show them that clip. Like, listen, man, like I've always been like this, right? This isn't an act. This is just who I am as a person. You know, I'm just a easygoing goofy dude. Well, that wasn't even your first viral clip. If we go back further to your days at Clemson and a, a rain delay against Davidson, there That's is right. a, it, yep. and I'll, I'll put links to all these things in the show notes. There is a six minute YouTube video of Clemson and Davidson kind of having a contest of who could right. come up with the greatest pantomimes while waiting out a rain delay. That's right. It was, that was fun. That, I, I mean, there's tanning beds, there's bowling uh, pins, there is uh, revolutionary <laughs> reenacting revolutionary war battles it is great stuff yeah that was a lot of fun that was crazy because our head coach jack leggett at clemson and i mean is obviously legendary head coach there is so many trips to omaha one of the he's indicted in the clemson hall of fame just like a legendary coach there he was like a no-nonsense dude right like he did not mess around he was a football coach coaching baseball and so i don't know how we got away with that my only thing i can think of <laughs> is that he was just like in the clubhouse underneath the whole time he didn't realize what was happening is the only thing i can think of that we like <laughs> got away with. i don't i still to this day i don't know how he allowed that but um yeah it was a lot of fun i actually think davidson started it and we just sort of responded and kept going. That was awesome. Yeah, I've, had, I've got like three super viral clips. I feel like I should be more in, uh, internet famous. I'm really not, though. What's the third one? Those those so, are the two that I always Yeah, see. so I have the one at Clemson with the big rain delay one. And then I have, obviously, my first hit. But then in 2017, I was playing for the Indians in AAA in Columbus. And for what? We were playing in Toledo, maybe? I'm not sure. I think it was Toledo. We're playing in Toledo. And... 
after the game, someone comes up to me. I was like, Hey, did you see this? I was like, see what? And they showed me a screenshot and it's like me, I'm stepping into the box and I'm holding my bat up and under the banner where it says like the name and the stats, or whatever it says, Richie Schaefer last at bat fell off cliff is what it says. <laughs> it says, it says <laughs> fell off cliff. And so like, is I, this on the scoreboard? Uh, no, this is on like the broadcast, like the TV broadcast of the game. Oh, so like the Chiron, the yeah, Chiron graphics. Yeah, like the graphics. Yeah, like the graphics that go underneath where it would usually say like Richie Schaefer, last at bat, you know, strikeout, which would be probably be the case. You know what I mean? And then uh, whatever else it would be, uh, this said last at bat fell off cliff. So I tweeted out, I was like, uh, what? And it went super viral. It was on like Jimmy Fallon. It was everywhere. Like it went like super viral. So I'm like, I feel like I've got three pretty massive viral clips. And I feel like you got no internet fame, man. Feels bad. <laughs> Feels bad, you know? <laughs> well, now you're on the Two Strike Noise podcast. Ooh, so just hold up. on because it's going to be a wild ride. I'm going to have TMZ outside my door tomorrow. I can already feel it. That's right. I actually wanted to ask you about uh, the the exact time you got called up to the big leagues there with uh, with Tampa. What was the first thing you did? Did you, did you call home? Did you uh, high five somebody? Did you just in the corner what, what, what happened man yeah so we were playing in durham so i remember i was uh hitting it was on the fifth inning or so i end up like lining out to right field and i come back in the dugout it's one of those line drives where you barely get out of the box the guy just like it goes right to him um so i remember coming back in the dugout was the inning was over my manager jared sandberg he comes over and he's like like schaefer you're out of the game and I look at him, I'm like, whoa, what? Like, I thought maybe he was like mad at me for not running out the ball. Or I thought maybe like, I, I didn't know what was going on. I thought maybe for a second I got traded. I wasn't sure what just happened. Cause that's like not very normal. Just get taken out in the middle of a game like right. that. Um, Cause we weren't a, we weren't an NL team. There was no double switches or anything like that. So I was like super confused what was going on. And then, so he just like lets it linger for a second. And I'm like kind of freaking out on the bench. I'm like, wait, what the hell is going on right now? And um, he comes over. And he shakes my hand. He's like, you're going to the big leagues. Congratulations. And I was like, what? So all my buddies like give me big hugs and we we're all like, you know, everyone was pumped for me. It was pretty awesome. And then I just remember going back inside underneath the clubhouse and just like sitting on the bench in my locker and just being, it hadn't really hit me yet. And then obviously I get on the phone and call my wife and my, my parents and let them know. And then basically just pack up and, you know, go sit in my apartment and just like stare at the ceiling. Like, is this real? <laughs> that's pretty much, that's pretty much how it went. So you had, uh, we mentioned your first uh, major league hit was that home run. Uh, there's also, you hit one of the hardest balls I have seen hit out of Fenway. This was to, uh, in uh, September of 2015 off yep. of Robbie Ross, where, you know, it wasn't one of those cheap Fenway, you know, it gets up into the Fenway seats to the green monster seats up there. This went well out of the park. Was that one of those, if you remember, that you just you couldn't even feel it when it hit the bat? Yeah, no, I specifically remember that one. And if I have like three little Internet viral moments, I have one baseball community viral moment. And that's that hit because I've had a lot of people, a lot of guys I've never played with or against that I've run into. And they'll they'll like and they, if they either were in that game um, or if they seen a clip of it, they'll, they'll come and talk to me about it. Yeah, that was one of those things where it was just the stars just aligned and I literally got every single ounce of my ridiculously hard swing that I would overswing at at times and uh, just ran into it. And yeah, I mean, I absolutely hammered this thing over the green monster. It was one of the coolest clips I have, but I remember playing Ryan I in, in 2017 with Cleveland uh, in spring training, 
the Indians signed Ryan Hannigan to, you know, see if he could be, you know, another one of their catching options in spring training. And we were locker mates. And Hanny is sort of a gruff kind of guy. He's not like the most, he's not the most, like he's not the warmest guy. If you don't know him right away, he wants you, once he like, uh, once you get to know him a little bit, he's, he's, he's fine. But in the very beginning, he's a little intimidating, especially as a younger guy like myself. And I, I think we're going like two weeks in a spring training. He hasn't really said much to me. I just, every once in a while, I'll be like, what's up, man? He's like, hey, what's up? And uh, sure enough, like randomly, two weeks into camp, he looks at me. He is like, he's like putting his socks on. He looks over at me. He's like, were you a Tampa in 15? I was like, yeah. And he's like, she had a home run off Robbie Ross. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, <laughs> all right. And he's like, I, I thought I recognized you. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I tell you what, man. He's like, you're a little bit of a legend in the Red Sox clubhouse that year. I was like, wait, what? And he was like, bro, we had talked about it. A lot of people, we thought that was the farthest ball hit that year at Fenway. I was like, no way. He was like, yeah, we talk about that all the time. We we gave Robbie a really hard time about that. I was like, nice. Okay, cool. <laughs> so awesome. That was pretty cool. And I ended up running into Robbie Ross last year was we were playing independent ball and um i was sort of uh i was i was jabbing at him a little bit which was uh which was fun and then he, and he hit me he hit me in the calf so yeah so we had we had fun with that but no that was a really cool moment and obviously like my my time in the big leagues was obviously shorter than I would have liked, but it's still, I still have all these incredible moments that I can look back on and, and be so grateful for and telling people they have a home run at Fenway over the green monster. Even if it just squeaks out is one of the coolest things, uh, one of the coolest things ever as a baseball player and someone who dreamed of doing that as a kid. Now, if you, if you wouldn't have been a rookie that year, do you think maybe the trot would have been more kind of big poppy esque and been a little bit slower? I don't know, man. I never really, I never really pimped home runs. I never really did bat flips. I never really, I don't know. I was just too, I wasn't a big uh, trash talker. I, I just, that just wasn't me. So it was hard for me to, I tried to get more edge as I got later in my career. Cause I thought maybe I, it would be useful for me. It just didn't really work out. Well, I'm too like, I'm too self-deprecating. I'm too, like, I like jokes. I like, to, I like to joke around too much. I'm just not like, it just seems so disingenuous if I'm over here trying to be like the intense tough guy when I'm also just like making fart jokes and stuff. It just doesn't, those two like, those two like don't match up, right? So I would hit my home runs and just, uh, I might give a flip every once in a while if I really get it, but that was never really my thing, so. It kind of sounds like the mission statement for this podcast. Yeah. We're, just, we're just here to to hear, you know, good stories and uh, and goofing off in the major leagues. So that's yeah. great. Yeah. But speaking of of goofing off, what is the what's the funniest thing a fan ever yelled at you? So I I don't know why, but I remember being in Buffalo and this guy in Buffalo always had like he was like a reverse heckler. Like he would yell things at you that made it sound like he was heckling you, but he would yell like compliments at you, like really aggressively. <laughs> so it was like, it would like, it was just distracting, but it would kind of make you laugh. He'd be like, Richie, he's like, your butt looks great in those pants. <laughs> like, he, was like, <laughs> he was like, he was like, uh, he's like, your skin looks great. Do you moisturize? Like, just like yelling, like yelling, like aggressive compliments. And he would do it to everyone. Right? It wasn't just me, but he would just like yell, like really aggressive compliments at people that made it sound like he was heckling you. But really he was complimenting. He didn't really know how to take it. So it was like funny, but it was also kind of distracting, but it was, I don't know. So 
I, those guys crack me up. I mean, there's plenty of loser hecklers that, you know, say real stuff that, are, you know, just are, just go there and hate their own lives. Yes, yeah. pretty much. But I, I, I really enjoyed, I actually really enjoyed like witty, witty hecklers for sure. I like that positive heckling. I, mean, <laughs> positive I, heckling, I, yeah. I don't really heckle, but I, if I did, I think that's where I would go. That's a good, <laughs> good yeah, idea. It was really funny. It was, it was hysterical. Hecklers never really got to me. I mean, there was a couple of times where I'm just personally really ticked off at like what was going on with like my performance at the time. And someone just say the wrong thing and I'm just already looking to lash out at someone. So every once in a while I'd chirp back at a heckler, but nine times out of 10, I'm not saying anything, but I had some teammates that it did. Oh, if they even, if they even looked in their direction, they're yelling at fans and stuff. I had some buddies with some absolute quick triggers yelling at fans. It was so funny. What about, uh, this is another question I ask everybody. What's the first thing you ever got fined for in kangaroo court? I never got fined for this, but I got ragged on really hard for this. When I first got signed in 2012, I went and I, I told you I played those like 30 days in short season. So basically in short season rookie ball, that's basically just extended college. Everyone on the team just came fresh out of college. No one knows the pro ball etiquette. No one knows pro ball like culture and, you know, what is considered, you know, acceptable and what's considered to be ridiculous and eyewash or whatever. And I was like super Johnny college. Like I was Johnny hustle, like Mr. Like I was very, I was very, very, very college. And a lot of the guys that got signed out of high school and have been in pro ball for, you know, three, four years prior to that, they always like would bust my balls because of how much I was, I was like that. So when the season ended, I went to the fall league and the fall league is, which if you don't know the dynamics of the Arizona fall league, basically how it works, it's, it's like, um, like a small abbreviated fall league for, you know, basically the best prospects like in baseball, but they're usually a little more advanced. It's usually double a players is, is sort of the, um, the, high a double a and even some like some really young triple a guys are in the fall league so i was there coming straight out of short season being 30 days in professional baseball and i did not under and guys that have been playing for three four five years in pro ball up until this point so like the, the the difference in what i understood baseball was and what they understood baseball in terms of like how you approach coming to the field every day were drastically different and i remember <laughs> being in a scouting report meeting uh, prior to a game when they were going over the pitcher that day. Mind you, in the fall league, the starting pitcher, he may throw two innings, right? No one no one is really paying attention to what's going on. Everyone's like sort of there just, you know, because they have to because the manager tells them to. Even the manager himself is like kind of talking about it, kind of just like joking around. Like it's a very laid back environment in the fall league, but I am like dead serious, right? Like I am, this is the most important meeting of my life. <laughs> and so they're, they're talking about pitchers or something. And I remember, I remember him saying, the manager saying something about a 12-6 curveball. I don't know what made me, ask this because number one, I was on the taxi squad because as a short a, a, a rookie ball player, I wasn't even allowed to be on the full roster. So I wasn't even active that day. I literally could not play if our entire team got hurt. I was not on the active roster. I was only active on Wednesdays and Saturdays. Um, that's as a taxi squad player. That was what you had to do. So I'm in there and I remember he said something about a 12, six curveball, And I remember just like 
raising my hand. I'm like, so is it more of a true 12, six curveball? Is it more like a 11 to five, like with some <laughs> tilt to it? Oh my God. The, the room just instantly just busted out laughing. It was just ragging on me so hard. They're like, what is an 11, five curveball? Never like, what are you talking about? Shut up. Like, it's like, it's like literally seven in the morning and people are eating like the dry eggs that you get from the little like hotel and stuff like that. And everyone's like, shut up, Richie. What are you talking about? I'm like, I'm trying to focus, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, you're not even playing today. What are you talking? Like, it was so funny. Like I just couldn't, it, it took me a long time to relax from my transition from college to professional baseball. Cause in college, everything was like, everything was so deathly serious all the time. And everything was so intense. And yeah. everything's like just more way laid back. So I, I didn't get fined for that because we didn't technically have kangaroo court in the fall league. But I remember getting just abused for weeks because of that, like abused. Rightfully so too, rightfully so. All right. So I, I hope you're enjoying this conversation so far because uh, he is, he's a really interesting guy. And we've got some more stuff where we'll continue our conversation with Dickie Danger next week, where we'll hear about his experiences playing in the Atlantic League last year. That's where he dealt with automated umpires and some of those other rule experiments that MLB implemented there. Uh, We'll also hear another great story about when he was a member of the Rays and they played an exhibition game in Cuba. And he met some interesting characters from the government, we'll we'll say (laughs) there. Or maybe they weren't from the government. We don't know. Stick around Mm -hmm. next week to hear more. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Plus, we'll get to hear uh, some more of the things that he's doing outside of baseball because he's got a lot of interests and he's really talented in a lot of different fields. So uh, check the show notes because you can find uh, Richie in a lot of places on the internet. I'll put them all there. Please check out his Twitch stream. He's on, you know, several times throughout the week. He's really entertaining and you're going to, what you heard here is what you'll get. Uh, The first time I went into his, uh, his channel on Twitch, he, you know, did not know who I was. We'd been talking through Twitter, but I have a different name on Twitch. And he immediately greeted me and kind of gave me a little introduction. And I just started typing questions and he was answering them while he was playing, uh, you know, uh, I think he was playing Call of Duty that day. Really, just a real nice guy. And we were, we were very lucky that, you know, he stuck around and played, uh, played along with us for a while. And yeah. he had a great Wax Packs hero, too, for somebody that was clearly the person, the youngest person we've had on the show that's a former player. Um, you know, he didn't play with a lot of the guys that we pulled, but we had a lot of fun talking about these guys. So join us next week for part two of our conversation with Richie Schaefer, a.k.a. Dickie Danger. So uh, because uh, everything's kind of going long, we are, don't have time for a Wax Packs hero between Mark and I, but that does not mean you can't have one. We are going to go ahead and we're going to do one, but we're going to just put it up on our YouTube channel because we've ran a little long with with Richie and then we kind of talked for a little bit longer than we expected to during the pregame show. So we're going to go ahead and we'll play Wax Packs Hero. We're going to put it up on our YouTube channel. You can find a link in the show notes. It will be a better one than last week. I can guarantee you that that 86 (laughs) Fleer did not deliver. But uh, we will definitely uh, have a better one. Make sure to check us out there. 
Uh, again, just like to thank our listeners as always. We really do appreciate it. And we hope we've been able to take your mind off of kind of everything that's going on in the world for the last little bit. We've had a good time doing it. It helps us as well to, it's kind of cathartic to, to talk about baseball, whether it's going on or not. So we really do appreciate you listening. We appreciate you uh, sending us messages. Uh, it, we really, we really we really do appreciate it. Um, if you would like to get a hold of us, you can find us uh, on the social medias on both Twitter and Instagram at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWOStrikeNoise.com. Uh, we are also on YouTube, like I said. Just search for Two Strike Noise. Mark, uh, there's another way they can get a hold of us as well, right? Sure. TWO Strike Noise. Spell it out Two Strike Noise at gmail.com. And uh, just just drop a note to say hi. Let us know what you think. Uh, give us some ideas. We love interacting with our listeners, and uh, it happens quite often. So you're you're not going to be like somebody that's like, hey, uh, sorry to bug you. We really enjoy it. So feel free to to write to us. Let us know what's going on. What you like about the show? Send us your top five living players. I'm Please I'm do. interested to hear other people's because I'm having a hard time getting getting that list down. But uh, Mark, so I've already locked you in because we've got to finish our conversation with Richie next week. And um, we've got a bunch of other things planned. Actually, next week, we're going to probably have an announcement that hopefully will be of interest to everybody. So make sure to stick around. Mark, I know you're going to be here because I've just told you that you've got to be. So uh, (laughs) until then, uh, we will uh, see you again next week for another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you all. God bless you. Have a great day.